lost and found. Yeah, everybody knows the last and found is. And so I'm going to pray. We have a bulletin. We have notes in your bulletin that uh, we're going to fill out as we're going along. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Your word is so real. So true. This morning, even as we sang and prayed, we want to know your heart. I pray, Father, that we will hear your heart through this message this morning. I pray, Father, that you would wear me like a glove, that you would be the substance of everything that's said and done, and that, Father, people would hear beyond my voice. They will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts. And that, God, we who have come in one way would leave different, having heard your word. We surrender our hearts, our ears, our minds to you now, and we say, speak to me, Lord. Lord, I'm not, I'm not concerned about you speaking to the person beside me. I'm not concerned about you speaking to my spouse. I'm not concerned about you speaking to my kids. I want you to speak to me. So I surrender to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen, Amen, Amen. So today we're talking about lost and found. And um, inviting someone somewhere shouldn't really be that difficult of a thing. Just the other day, I invited a friend of mine to go to the movies. And uh, we end up watching movies and eating popcorn and stuff. I invited another friend to go to Starbucks. It wasn't hard, pretty easy, no, nothing big. But sometimes when it comes to inviting people to church, it can be a little bit different. Because, because oftentimes when we invite people to church, we kind of feel like they're going to judge us based on our church, and we start to judge our church based on them. How many of you know what I mean? Like you don't go to the movie and think to yourself, I wonder how this person is seeing the movie, because you didn't make the movie. But when you come to church, it's like everything that is happening in church, you're wondering, I wonder how they think about that. I wonder what they think about that. I wonder what they think about that. Right? Everything that was normal to you, all of a sudden, you realize, it ain't all that normal. I had a friend once, uh, years ago, when I was working in advertising, and um, my friend and I got, you know, this guy was my supervisor, actually, I got really close, became friends. And he was going through a crisis, had some questions about God and stuff. And so I would meet with him and talk with him, and one day, I led him to the Lord. And, you know, after I led him to the Lord, the next thing for me to do was to invite him to church. Here's the thing. I was okay in inviting him to church, just not my church. Because my church, I didn't think fit his personality. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so like, you know, my church was what we would call a clap-on church, right? And then people would lift their hands. People would sing loud. The music was big. The worship was... I mean, I know you don't understand what I'm talking about. But it was one of those church. In fact, you know what? Sometimes we take these things for granted. We think that everybody is okay with it. But last week, last week right here at Word of Truth, someone asked a question. Why do we sing? And when we lift our hands to Jesus... What do we really mean? Someone may be wondering when we sing our song. At times we may be crying, though nothing's even wrong. 
I sing because I'm happy. Come on, family. I sing because I'm, yay. His eye is on. That's the reason why I sing. All right, okay, okay, get back to the story. Somebody said to me last week, can you ever get through a message without a song? I said, no, I can't do it. I just can't do it. So, so, so you see, so it wasn't just that. I mean, that would be one thing, okay? But our church too, they, you walked in and there were these banners on the wall with Hebrew words that people who aren't saved have no idea what they mean. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Shalom. And then up front, you had some barefooted ladies in white with flags. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but there were flags. And flags would say King of Kings. And then one would say Lord of Lords. And then one would say uh, Lamb of God. And one would say Lion of Judah. All right? And then if you're not careful, in the middle of the service, Brother Joe over on the third row on the right will get up and say, Yeah, 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 say God. Somebody know I'm talking and if the music got really, really good, I mean, like, if the music got good, I mean, listen, Lion of Judah would take off. And she would run down the aisle. And Lion of Judah will break something. And so when you have that kind of environment, you're thinking to yourself, okay, my friend just got saved. I want to invite him to church, but do I invite him to my church? <laughs> because I'm seeing everything through his eyes. But I did. He came. And he liked it. And he came back. And then he became a member. It's crazy. And then he became... One of those who would lift their hands. And I realized something. Something happened in my heart. I realized something. That when I spend time praying and investing and inviting. And I bring someone to an environment where people are loving and accepting and caring. That something happens where the Spirit of God was already doing a work and all he needed was for somebody to invest and invite and watch God finish what he already began. That it wasn't me that was doing the saving. It was God. And a lot of times I think we get reserved in our invitation because we think somehow it is our power that is going to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. No man comes by the Father except by Him. He is already doing the invitation. He just wants you to join Him in inviting. He said, they're going to go somewhere. Because God's doing a work on their heart. And so here's what I want you to think about as we're talking through this message. I want you to think about this question. Who are the people closest to me who are furthest from God? Who are the people closest to me who are furthest from God? 
when we talk about lost and found, I'm saying there are two categories of people in this world. Those who are lost and those who are found. And now I'm using those categories because that's what the Lord Jesus set them up as. Right? Lost and found. He says, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Lost doesn't mean that God doesn't know where you are physically. He just doesn't know where you are relationally. And so lost and found. The mission of the found is to find the lost. The mission of the found is to find the lost. I'm going to say that again. The mission of the found is to find the lost. Matthew 28 verse 18 says this. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we know as the Great Commission. A lot of times we treat it as the Great Suggestion. But it is not the Great Suggestion, it is the Great what? Commission. And this commission is for every believer, not just for pastors. Hello. This is not just for missionaries. This is not just for people who have been saved 20 years. Jesus says, teach people everything I've taught you. Not everything there is to know. Just what I've taught you. We can only teach people what we already know. Like my son Joshua, he's a great musician. Guess what? When he was five, six, seven years old, I taught him everything I knew about playing the piano. I didn't teach him everything he knows about playing piano because I can't even play nearly as good as him. But here's the thing, I can only teach what I already know. And so the job of the, 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 the found is to find the lost. He says, go therefore. We've turned the great commission into the great omission. It's like we're good at so many things in church. Man, we know how to worship. We know how to tithe. Man, we, we, we read our Bible. And if we don't read, we feel bad. Right? We even feel like we feel bad. Like, oh no, I didn't even do my devotions today. It's going to be a bad day today. Because I didn't do my devotions. We know how to pray. We get into a car accident. Oh Jesus, help me. We know how to pray. If we say to somebody, hey, how often have you read your Bible this year? Anybody read your Bible one time this year so far? Every hand would go up. Anybody pray one time this year? Every hand would go up. Anybody lead somebody to Christ one time this year? It's an interesting thing that this is one commandment where we go, that's for somebody else. Huh. Oh boy. I always do this, don't I? Sorry. Pray, pray for me. Just pray for me. The mission, this mission is mandatory. It is not optional. It was not written here for those who want to and then for those who don't, don't worry about it. This is something that God is expecting of every single believer. You see, no one should be waiting until Christ tells them to go. A lot of times you say, I would go if Jesus has told me. He already told you. What you need to be doing is waiting for Him to tell you to stop. Thank you for those claps right there. That's very, really good.
command of going is already plain. Come on now. My, my uh, pastor, David, who, um, who was my pastor back in Jamaica many, many years ago, his father was an elder in a church for years. Their, their church didn't have pastors. It was just like an elder-run church. And he was like this just older statesman in the Lord, just somebody that we really looked up to. Well, I was about maybe 21 or so when he passed. And when he passed, he was actually in the hospital for a while before he passed. And Pastor David went to visit him one day and, you know, he's there. And he said, David, David. He said, yes, yes, brother. I led the nurse to the Lord. I was like, Dad, you need to be resting. What are you doing? He said, just one more soul. Just one more for Jesus. Just one more for Jesus. Come on. Just one more for Jesus. Listen, even on his dying bed, his whole thought was, just one more for Jesus. Just one more for Jesus. Just one more for Jesus. And I think sometimes we have missed so much. The heart, we talked this morning, we said, oh, I want to know your heart. I can tell you what his heart is. Whoo, you know I hear this. I can tell you what his heart is. His heart is for his lost children. That's what his heart is. Do you want to know his heart? His heart is for every single person going to hell. That's his heart. His heart is for every person who doesn't know him and doesn't have the joy of actually experiencing salvation. That's his heart. His heart is who is going to talk to them. I'm seeking for someone to stand in the gap. Somebody who will go on my behalf and tell the world that I love them. That's his heart. So it's good that we see it, but when he reveals it, what you gonna do with it? I want to know your heart. I want to know your heart. This is the last command of Jesus before he's gotten taken up. If you if you run a business, if you supervise people. If you're under somebody who supervises people, you know this. If, if, if you're leaving and you tell somebody who works for you something you want done, and you go, hey, before I leave, I need this done. Let me tell you something. Imagine this. Pastor Eben is leaving and he tells um, Pastor Jonathan, hey, Pastor Jonathan, I need you to paint the whole building black. I just need the whole building black. I need everywhere black, just paint black walls everywhere. No. When Pastor Jonathan calls Pastor uh, Eben, says, hey, Pastor Eben, how's it going? And, and he says, yeah, it's going good. How's everything on your side? If Pastor Jonathan is like, well, Elevate was good this week. <laughs> Pastor Eben is going to be like, okay, that's not exactly what I wanted to hear about. Um, yeah, you know what? I got two new volunteers. In fact, pastor, can you give me some money so that we can print some more programs for Elevate? Can you, can you um, give, us, give me some more money so that we can get a bus for the kids for Elevate? Hey, uh, pastor, can you give us... Listen, all of those give me lists. Pastor Evan is waiting to hear one thing. What is he waiting to hear about? <laughs> is the building painted black? 
So sometimes we, you see, Jesus left and left a command, and He's coming back. And every time we call Him, say, "Hey, Jesus," He's the, He's trying to say, "Um, um, but what about the last thing I told you to do?" When He comes back, you know what He's going to want an update on? Hey, is the building black? Did you do what I told you to do? Because a lot of times, here's what ends up happening with us. We go, hey God, I want this for this, 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 this. Can you give me this, 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 this? And he's going, is that, is that actually going to help you um, paint the building black? Jesus' last instruction is our first priority. Jesus' last instruction is our first priority. It was the last commandment that he gave, but it wasn't a new commandment that he gave. This wasn't the first time. It was part of the job description. You remember when he called Peter, he said this. Uh, Matthew 4 verse 18 says, And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Here's the deal. The very first thing he tells them when they sign up is that you're going to save some people. You're going to be a part of helping people come to know me. Immediately, it says, they left their nets and followed him. The job description of the found is to find the lost. Jesus outlined the expectation from day one. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to fish for men. And I'll give you the -the on-the-job training. Right from the start. He didn't trick them. He didn't say, hey, come follow me. I'll show you miracles. I'll provide all your needs, all that. And then when you get all that, then he says, oh, by the way, um, I need you to get to... No, from day one, he was like, hey, you going to follow me? You're going to get some people. From the very beginning. That's what our mission statement as a church is. is to know Christ and to make Him known. To do what? Know Christ and to... To say it again, know Christ and to... Yeah, you know what? The two parts go together. We can't just be focused on knowing Christ. We cannot just be, hey, the mission of Word of Truth is to know Christ. Forget the other part. Know Christ. <laughs> you know what? Every Sunday, I'm knowing Christ. Every time I open my Bible, knowing Christ. I'm praying, knowing Christ. I just love knowing Christ. He says, hey, that's only half the purpose. The other half needs to be, you've got to make him known. You've got to make him known. Mark 3, verse 13 to 15, it says, And he, Jesus, went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Watch this. Then he appointed twelve that they might, say this with me, be with him and that he might send them out. Listen, he called his disciples that they might be with him and that he might what? It's not good enough to just be with him. But to be with him and to send them out to preach, to preach, that's all of us. Jesus was focused on the lost. But most churches are focused on the found. Woo! 
Most churches are focused on making the members comfortable and the visitors confused. Hello. That's not what it's about. Church is not for church people. Church is not for church people. Church is for everybody. It's for people, people. It's just for anybody who may come. Any, go into the highways and the byways. It's not just for those who feel they're invited. It's for those who don't even know. Come on. This is, this is what we're called to do. The mission of the found is to seek the lost. It's to find the lost. The heart of the found should be for the lost. The heart of the found should be for the lost. God wants you not just to have a commission to the lost, but a compassion for the lost. It's not just about having a commission, but also having a compassion. There's everywhere Jesus went. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but everywhere Jesus went, the non-religious people were attracted to Him. Like, He was the most holy, righteous person who ever lived, yet those who were sinners and tax collectors enjoyed being with Him. That is crazy. It's like, Jesus was liked by those who were most unlike Him. He didn't make, like, like, just hang around people who were, you know, religious and all right and righteous and saved. He didn't hang around. He hung around people who needed it. And because of that, the Pharisees were always upset. Because of that, people always were confused about what is wrong with this guy. Because somehow this guy brought the barrier, brought this barrier of this, this, you know, righteous people need to be over here, unrighteous people need to be over here, we don't mix. He broke that whole barrier down. In fact, he tells this whole, there's this whole chapter in Luke chapter 15 that's dedicated to this thought. And in Luke 15, he tells three stories. One called the lost sheep, one called the lost coin. And one called the lost son. We call it prodigal son. And in that story, he's talking. Watch this. In fact, I'll pick it up. Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Man, you know you have to be a really bad sinner to be called notorious. I mean, like that, that's some serious sin right there, right? He's a tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Hmm. So Jesus told them this story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Now hold on one second. I am notorious, not for sin, I'm notorious for losing things. Amen, my wife says. She shouted from the front row. Man, I will lose anything. Listen, you can challenge me right now. Just give me something. I'll lose it. I'm really good at that. Like it's one of my gifts, okay, is to lose things. But, but here, here's, here, here's, here's what happens with us. When, when we lose something, our focus is entirely on the thing that we've lost. 
right? The other day, um, my wife and I, kids, went out, I think it was last year or this time, we went out um, to a hotel and stuff, and at the end of our trip, my wife and I got in this argument. And so, we had this argument, we're coming out of the hotel room, and I'm miserable, and she's miserable, and we jump in the car, and we drive home, right? So much for the vacation, praise the Lord. So we do that, we get home, we're unpacking the car, and she says, hey, where's my peacoat jacket? So I said, well, I thought you got it. She says, well, you're the last one in the room. I said, well, babe, I told you to make sure you sweep the room before we leave. Well, you're the one that was arguing with me. So I'm going back again. All right, all right, all right, all right, fine. I'll just call the hotel. So call the hotel. Well, they haven't cleaned up the room yet. Blah, 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 blah. So I call the hotel the next day. Well, the clean up room, they didn't find anything. I didn't find anything. We just left it there yesterday. I called her. Like, like that thing consumed about two weeks. No, here's what she did not say. Well, at least I have some more jackets. She didn't say that. You know what she was concerned about? The one she lost. Hello. She wasn't getting me off the hook. <laughs> she was like, babe, don't worry about it. I have some other jackets. We can always buy. No! Where's the jacket you lost? <laughs> yeah, I didn't lose the jacket. But what happens to us is this. When we lose something, our mind, our energy, our heart, our emotions are focused on the thing we lost, regardless of what we already have. You better say it, girl. So Jesus asked the obvious question. He says, if the shepherd has 99 sheep in his fold, but he knows one is missing, what will he do? They all know the answer. Because no matter how much you have, what you lost is more important in that moment. Man, if I'm going hiking with my kids and one of them get lost in the forest, I ain't thinking, I have two more. That's not running across my mind. I'm thinking, you two stay here. I'm going to find the one that's lost. Are you following me? And so, Jesus says, he goes on, he says, what will he do? He says, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And everybody says, of course. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same, someone say in the same way. Come on, say in the same way. There is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. My God. God is so focused on finding the lost. That's his heart. God wants his lost children found. And he's pulled together a search party. 
<laughs> Come on now. He's pulled together a search party of found people. <laughs> and we can't just sit around singing about how good it is to be found. We can't just sit. It's good to rejoice that you're found. But don't just spend all your time talking about being found. Don't just spend all the time looking at the map about how to find lost people. Where lost people might be. What words. Don't just look at the map. God is saying, I need you to go and find How frustrating would it be if one of your children were lost and the whole search party just kept talking to each other about how great it is not to be lost? Hmm. He wants a search party to have the same sense of urgency that he has for his lost child. And that's what he's called us to do. We have to go. We have to know his heart. And have his heart. And his heart is for seeking and saving the lost. So how does the lost get found? How does the lost get found? In your notes, the easiest way to make a difference is to invite the people in my life to church. That's the easiest way to do it. Okay? Easiest way. And that's why I wanted you to think as we're going through this message. I want you to think about that question. Who are the people closest to me who are furthest from God? Who are the people closest to me who are furthest from God? You see, the reason why this message is coming now to you is because God is working on some of their hearts. And they just want somebody to say, would you come to church with me? So here's, here's how Jesus put it. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses let me just stop here for a second the purpose of the power of the holy spirit is not so that he can speak in tongues i just messed up somebody's theology right there i said the purpose of the power of the holy spirit is not so he can speak in tongues the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is not so that you can lay hands on the sick and see them recovered. Listen to me. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is not for miracles. That's not the purpose. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is so that you can be a witness. That's the purpose. of the, All those other things are a means to the purpose. When you heal somebody and they see that healing, then they go, wow, how'd you do that? Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. Are you with me? It, the whole purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is that you can be a witness. Listen to this. In Jerusalem. Now who is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is the place and people of your maximum impact. Those are the people that you have the in with. Like they respect you. You already have influence. You already have some clout. You already have something there. They already look to you as somebody that they will listen to. Okay, that, that's, that's Jerusalem. But then he says, not only Jerusalem, he wants you to go to Judea. Who is Judea? Judea are the people who like you and are like you. They like you and they are like you. There's a a testimony that's going to come up on the screen when we finish here about uh, just somebody who came to church. And they came to church because they went to gym. And when they went to the gym, they hired a trainer. And the trainer asked him about going to church. And so he 
he came to church and now he and his entire family have baptized and they are now in church members serving it isn't god good amen listen of course they like each other because they're both like you know you know i, I that probably wouldn't be me i'm just saying but the people who are like you and like you that's judea uh, samaria samaria are the people you don't like or they don't like you you know it's always funny to me like like this whole term of haters like that's a real american type term you know like you got haters you got you ever consider that you might be the hater I'm, I'm just saying like if everybody has haters and nobody's a hater something's wrong like somebody has to be the hater for everybody to have it unless we all have the same hate no 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 that's not that's not okay but whoever is hating on you and whoever you're hating on that's samaria because Samarit, samaritans were people who didn't get along with the jews like they were seen as dogs by the jews because they were mixed and so there was this cultural divide between the Jews and Samaritans. That's why you have the story of the good Samaritan that Jesus told. Or that's why Jesus stopped by the Samaritan uh, with the Samaritan lady and she said, how can you be a Jew talking to me a Samaritan? Because there was this, this natural hatred, this natural tension between Jews and Samaritans. Who do you have a natural tension with? You need to invite them to church. Praise the Lord. And then finally he says, Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth is everybody else. Everyone else is the ends of the earth. Everyone else is the ends of the earth. Listen, God has never made a person he did not love. I'm going to say that again. God has never made a person he did not love. God cares for everybody. And wants everybody to be saved. So how do we do it? We do it first of all by identifying the lost. Like I said, those people. Number two, we do it by pray for the lost. So first blank up there is identify the lost. Right above Jerusalem, identify the lost. Second thing is pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. Psalm 2 verse 8 says, Only ask and I will give you the nations... As your inheritance. Someone say inheritance. God wants us to pray for the nations for our inheritance. He wants us to pray for souls as our inheritance. We are so caught up in trying to get a a harvest that we don't realize that God has an inheritance for us. We are really caught up on our harvest. When are we going to get our harvest? When is God going to bless us? When are we going to... And God has an inheritance for us. A harvest is something you work for. An inheritance is something you're given. A harvest is something that lasts only for a season, but an inheritance for a lifetime. Let me tell you something. When I get to heaven, God isn't going to show up with all the things I earned on earth. He's only going to show up with all the souls that got saved because of what I did on earth. Souls are an inheritance. Money's a harvest. And God wants more for you than just stuff to consume on yourself. He wants you to change lives, to see people 
come to a radical transformation because you walked in their space. Because you showed up. Their life was turned around. Because you showed up, their marriage was reconciled. Because you showed up, their kids are now walking right. Because you showed up, their life is completely changed because of you. We get so focused on the temporal when God is trying to get us to see the eternal. Like, can you see that when you get to heaven, the only thing you take with you are the souls of men? That's it. Nothing else. The only thing you can do on earth right now in this Christian thing, you know what? When you worship on earth, you can worship in heaven. But here's the thing. You save souls on earth, you can't do that in heaven. Once you get there, that's done. The only time to do that is right now. The only time to bring people to Him is right now. This is it. Pray for the lost. People are defenseless against our prayers. Rick Warren said that. People are defenseless against our prayers. Here's the other thing. Not only should we identify them, identify the lost, pray for the lost, invest your time. Nothing communicates care like time. You've heard the saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That only comes by spending time. Here's the fourth thing. Share your story. Your story. What's your story? How did Jesus change you? What happened in your life? Share your story. Fifth thing, invite them to church. Here's the line I want you to practice with me. Share your story, then invite them to church. Here's the line I want you to practice with me. Say say this question with me. Will you come to church with me? I know it sounds simple, but let's just say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Will you? All right, we're going to try it again because some of you are not convinced that this line is going to work. So let's try it. One, two, three. Will you come to church? One more time. One, two, three. Will you come to church? Listen. 50% of every person you ask that question to will say yes. 50% of every person, 50% will say yes. Now watch this. If you ask two or three times, that increases to 75%. Because some of them will come just to get you off their back. Here's the thing I know, 100% will at least appreciate that you thought of them, even if they don't come. Now let me ask you something. If you were selling a product, and I guaranteed you that 50% of the people that you asked to buy the product will buy it, and 75% would buy it if you asked them more than once, how many of you would sign up for that job? Okay, if there was money attached to it, all right? Let's say you'd get, yeah, yeah, okay. If there was money attached. Listen, it's easy. That's easy. Will you come to church with me? As simple as that. As simple as that. And what I want to do, guys, is simply this. Between now and Easter, I want you to find four people to ask that simple question to. Will you come to church with me? We're having a special service during Easter. Would love to have you there. And watch it. People will say 
yes. And you'll be walking and fulfilling the heart of God for your life. I'll say one last thing and then we'll close. John Augustus Shedd said this, A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. A ship in harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are built for. Listen, a Christian in church is safe, but that's not what Christians are built for. We come here, we get repaired, we get fixed up, but that's not what we're built for. What are we built for? To go. To go. Amen? Did you get something out of today's message? Now bow your heads with me real quick. Because I recognize that even here among us, there are people who are lost. And don't, don't, don't feel bad that I'm saying that. The truth is, it just means that you are at the center of God's heart this morning. And that you're here because He is so focused on you that He is leaving the 99 behind just to speak to you this morning. So as you bow your heads, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those who have never asked Jesus in their heart. Because God wants you to be found relationally with Him. I want to pray for those of you who you were committed, you were walking with Him at one point, but you've gotten off track. You're like that sheep who left the fold. And the shepherd wants to bring you back. He said, that's me. I want to pray for those people who are looking for a church home. And you've come here this morning, you said, you know what? I believe this is where God wants me to be. And finally... I want to pray for those of you who want to be baptized. If you fall into any of those four categories,